coming up on Garden Talk. You have people that are growing synthetic and they're still, you know, coming out with the same outcome as you. So I, I stay kind of open-minded in that aspect. Like, I, I'm not opposed to synthetic or organic. I don't think one is better than the other. Same thing. I'm sitting around 5, 5.8 is being optimal to me. So I'm always like, right away, I'm mixing my nutrient solution and I'm pHing it right to 5.8. Because I like to do everything from my phone. All lights and everything are hooked up to smart plugs where I could just control it from my phone. So it's like I get notifications if something's down, if the Wi-Fi goes out. Like I know like, hey, this light isn't going to cut on. I need to manually go do it because something just happened, like an outage happened in my area. I don't think we'll ever maintain what's perfect to us because as soon as we hit what we think is perfect, then there's going to be another goal set in stone. So we're always going to be chasing something as far as perfect goes. What's up, everybody? For you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This episode number 84. In this episode, I interview Dusa Farms. He is a YouTuber with nearly 6,000 subscribers and has been gardening for two years. This episode focuses on gardening for beginners, problems, and solutions. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. AC Infinity is sponsoring this episode. The Grow Tank kits are incredible. You get their Ion Board LED Grow Light, their Grow Tent, which is currently the thickest on the market, their ventilation system, clip-on fan, and the controller 69 to control it all. You also get their fabric pots, a trellis net, plant ties, and trimmers. Definitely a good price for all that you get in the kit. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these Grow 10 kits and you can use discount code MrGrowIt if you're buying off their website, acinfinity.com. That discount code actually works for all AC Infinity items or discount code MrGrowIt15 if you're buying off Amazon. Thanks to Mars Hydro for sponsoring this video. Mars Hydro has two new LED grow lights, the FC8000 and the FCE8000. Both grow lights are 800 watts and will work great in a 4x4 or 5x5 grow space. The FC8000 has Samsung LM301B diodes and the bars are detachable. The FCE8000 has Bridgelux diodes and there are more diodes for a longer lifespan. Check out their website at mars-hydro.com. I'll have a link down in the description section below. And you can use coupon code MrGrowIt for a discount on their products. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Dusa Farms. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks for asking. So you have been gardening for a couple years now, and I really like talking to gardeners with one to two years of experience because it's somewhat of a fresh set of eyes, and I feel like things can be learned from that, and new approaches can potentially be identified. I also think it can be helpful for beginner growers, hearing about potential problems that they can come across and solutions to those problems. And that's what we're going to get into in today's episode. But first, one thing I like to do with all guests is an introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? For sure. So um, like you said, um, Deuce of Farms, um, I've been gardening just under two years now. Come December, it'll be two years exactly. I I got into it literally just kind of like everybody gets into it. You know, I want to, well, not everybody I'll say, but I wanted to yield, you know, I I smoked already, but I was like, you know what, let me grow it. I can just get pounds and pounds. So that's what I went with. And I started growing right away, quickly learned that, you know, not everything is going to be what you expect. Uh, Started the YouTube right away for the first grow, which is kind of uh, I feel like it keeps me true to myself, but you know, the critics out there, not a lot of people, the, the viewers, you know, the first episode I state that I'm a new grower, but after that people like quickly, like they don't know they're tuning in maybe in my week four video and they don't know like, Hey, this is his first growth. So like, Oh, you suck. So, you know, so just battling, just starting right off with YouTube right away and then, uh, going through that. But, um, it's pretty much it as far as like growing. Um, I think I've, I, I try to like, uh, I got into the content creation because I'm like more of a, I've always, I, I used to game and I 
I was like, you know what? I was already wanting to do YouTube. I've done it before. Let me do the same thing and apply that to the plant. Start a, you know, a channel. I was already watching people like yourself, Mr. Canucks, Pigeons, uh, CLTV. I was already watching a lot of these people. So I was like, well, let me just start my own and let me start it from day one and let everybody just see my growth. So when I'm maybe, you know, on the same, you know, as far as subscribers or level or whatever, like when I'm 200 subscribers in, people are looking back like, whoa, look at those like this is where he started at it's you know he's come a long way like so i can go that you know it kind of motivates people i feel like if i if i show them that they're like okay not everybody starts as being the best or whatever but i feel like that's where i can kind of come into play and just show my progress through that entire thing yeah you certainly have to be somewhat brave in order to upload your grow to the internet and sure you're going to get a ton of haters backseat growers right those are the worst the people who who just tell you how to grow your plants without you even asking about it so like for like the community in general i feel like I feel like it's pretty positive for the most part. I would say like 99% with 1% being like negative here and there, which I hear a lot of people say that. So I think we can all agree that is pretty positive for the most part. Um, because then like, when you go into a gaming page and you see a lot of hate under those comments or people that do pranks, you'll see a lot of hate under the comments, stuff like that. But it seems to go pretty well for our community. Uh, like this morning, I get one. It's uh, people are like, oh, if I, you know, if I grew for you know, if I grew plants for this long and yielded this much, like I killed myself or, you know, like the, you know, typical hay, but I get one this morning. And then I, I, like I said, I try to keep things pretty transparent. I try to show everything, you know, being a content creator. I know sometimes things can get lost in there. We might not record everything, but when it comes to growing plants, I, you know, I put the days in there. I put where I'm at on the footage and uh, someone sees like I'm in veg uh, during my plants growth at day 89. And they're like, no way you're you know a good grower can never be great growing like that and i was like i never claimed i was good nor great i was like but i appreciate it and i was like they're like i lost all respect from you i was like uh, okay uh, that's a silly way to lose respect for someone but you know to each its own you have a great day yeah i agree with you and uh, like the the community is great there's a lot of positive people 99 percent positive anyways that's besides the point it's, it's cool that you're actually a content creator now and you're uploading your grow to youtube so people can view and you know show off what you have maybe ask for advice and that's one of the reasons why i got into it but uh what would you say is your gardening style right there's so many different ways to grow this plant are you indoors outdoors are you organic synthetic soil cocoa what's your style okay so i am an indoor uh, i am an indoor gardener i haven't done any outdoor yet as much as i would love to i'm um, just not look once i move uh into my house once i buy my house i do plan to do some outdoor stuff but as of right now i've only done indoor um as far as my style i feel like i like to say i try to keep it simple but sometimes you know i have to keep it as simple as i can because i do record video i do footage you know but at the same time i have to like do certain things here and there to show the audience uh things that i wouldn't normally do Uh, like it's just adding the camera to the mix i'm not saying like i'm just doing something because of the camera but i do have to add certain things here and there just to make you know i'm battling two, you know i'm fighting two fights i'm trying to make sure i get some footage for this and make sure i garden so but i do try to keep it as simple as possible to make that or have to add in the youtube stuff and the content creation making that a little bit easier and just having fun but yeah i do try to keep it as simple as possible and have as much fun um organic and synthetic uh so i've only done synthetic i did i want to do organic because a lot of people um this is my take on organic i feel like uh i do have some guy green uh i do have guy green on my shelf and i did try to use it but how I feel about people that uh, some people uh, that do organic gardening is they uh, there's uh, there's a few of them out there. And like when I first found out about the organic gardening, I see a lot of people are like pushing it. And there's a few of them out there where they're just like, that's the only way, you know, that's the best way. And they put so much faith in everything into it, which, I you know, I feel like organic. I feel like you should try to be as organic as possible. But it's just to me, I, I relate it to people that do keto in the fitness world for a for the viewers out there that are into fitness and know about people that are on the keto diet, you know, some people that are on the keto diet, they'll like really push keto. Like it's the only way to get in shape, the only way to lose body fat. And I feel like I relate that to some of the people that do organic gardening because it's just like those two personalities, like some of sometimes they can get like, feel like that's the only way. Well, it's like you have people that are growing synthetic and they're still, you know, coming out with the same outcome as you. So I I stay kind of open-minded in that aspect. Like I'm not opposed to synthetic or organic. I don't think, uh, 
one is better than the other. Like if they, they both, they both get the job done. Yes. I would like to do organic just for the sake of, you know, cutting back on, you know, the footprint of uh pollution and stuff like that. But as of right now, I've only been doing synthetic and, uh, I've ran, started off general hydroponics. I think that's like the typical, that was like the only thing I thought out there. That's the only thing I could find at first was like general hydroponics was like 30 bucks for three bottles so i was like i go with the trio the floor trio and then since then i've only i've tried some more general hydroponic stuff but as of uh, lately i just started for my uh, every girl i have going right now i've been running athena so those are the only two you know bottle nutrients i've used i did start off a, uh, one of my grows right away i was the first cocoa grow i was like i'm gonna do organic i really wanted to do organic just to say i've done it and tr i want to try everything i want to see what exactly works for me so i can because i don't know what i like right now like i know what i like currently but in a year from now i might not like what I, you know i might not like the same growth style i might have a totally different growth style i might think this product is way better than that product so i, I started i bought the guy green got some cocoa um at I, I grew my plants, you know, I started them in a humidity dome. Once they got to a certain size, they were already kind of showing some, uh, like they needed some nutrients. They were showing little deficiencies. So I was like, all right, go and get them transplanted so I could start, you know, top dressing and feeding them. Well, I didn't know an organic with organic, uh, or with organic gardening and top dressing, it takes like a week, maybe like around a week to break down. And when I put them in there, they, you know, they're going through that shock of transplant. I don't see any signs of recovery. I'm just like, oh, what is going on? I'm asking people. They said, yeah, you should have like went ahead and top dressed it before putting them in there so that the nutrients were readily available. So I was like, you know what? Maybe not this run, maybe the next run. I was like, I just mixed up some bottle nutrients. I was like, and they bounced back. I was like, all right. I was like, you know, synganic or whatever. Yeah, they definitely take time to break down. And that is a common mistake that folks make. Another common mistake would be to keep the medium moist. A lot of folks don't do that when they're growing organic. And there needs to be that moisture in there for proper nutrient breakdown, you know? So common technique when growing with synthetic or bottled nutrients would be to let the medium dry out between waterings. So they'll feed their plants, let the medium dry out. And then once it's at a certain point, they will water in their plants again and then kind of repeat that cycle. So they'll be doing drybacks or, or somewhat drought stress, I guess you can say, which can be beneficial to the plant. But with organics, you could seriously be missing the boat on things as far as breakdown and not providing the proper nutrition to the plants because the nutrients aren't available. So yeah, I think that's a great tip to, some people call that like charging the media or letting the media cook for a while for that breakdown to happen. So yeah, that's definitely could be helpful. Now, look, taking a look back at the last two years that you've been gardening, what would you say has been your biggest challenge that you've come across? Um, really, I would say, so for my biggest challenge, I would say is really just chasing that being too hard on myself i feel like i feel like that kind of sums it up um because a lot of us we are our biggest we are our biggest critic and i feel like i was you know stressing letting comments get to me letting you know he say she say just all letting that affect me at first you know outside of i'm already doubting myself i'm already feeling like i suck i can't do this and on top of that add in some other negative stuff from the outside so it's like other people see that i can't do it but then i kind of like sat there and it's like i can do it like you know this person's doing it this person's doing it. why can't i and then so i just feel like you know really just being that critic you know just kind of like appreciating like i just did a post uh on instagram where you know i was talking about um it was it was an instagram reel and like the it was kind of just like I said, when you're hard on, uh, when you thought your harvest was the worst, uh, but everybody's like saying it's actually good. And you're just like surprised. You're like, is it good? Like, I don't know, but like everybody's telling you it is. So it's like, oh, okay, like I did a good job. And it's just that, that self doubt, uh, and just chasing perfect. I feel like, you know, everybody wants that, you know, the perfect run and it's just going to be like in the rock of eternity. You'll just continuously, you know, chase perfect. I don't think we'll ever maintain what's perfect to us because as soon as we hit, you know, what we think is perfect, then there's going to be another goal set in stone. So we're always going to be chasing something as far as perfect goes. I can totally relate to that. Now, have you come across any like deficiencies or toxicities in your plants over the past couple of years? Um, yes. So for deficiencies and toxicities, um, 
I came across like, of course, uh, the typical like uh, nitrogen defici- uh, deficiency. Uh, at first, it was hard for me, especially being a new grower. I'm not the best at identifying stuff right away. Like now, as you go through them, like it's hard to relate to Google and tell Google like, hey, uh, my plant's leaf is this. Like, you know, Google can't see it. Um, so I'm over here trying to explain to Google, but I'm a new grower, so I don't know these certain terminology. I don't know how to use certain words. I don't know. I'm just like, hey, the leaf is yellow. I don't know how to explain. Like it's wilting. I didn't. I don't. I didn't even think to use that word wilting, and just really like relate it to where I could find an article. And be like, oh, okay, this is the problem. But so I've run into like a nitrogen deficiency. Um, I've run into like a you know low light having low light light, light deficiency because uh my lights went out and I was just kind of like taking a step back. I was like, you know, I'm not going to breathe down the plant's neck. I'm going to take a step back. And then like the day I take a step back, I don't know. All my, all my lights are uh, automatic. So when that, when I took that step back, I didn't go in there and check them for like two, three days, come back in. And then I was like, Oh, the lights are off. And I'm looking at the plants, got some, you know, yelling at the top. So I was like, okay, turn as soon as the light kicks back on, they're good. They bounce back. As far as other deficiencies, um, I've run into, I've run into like a, uh, was it pH? Uh, I've run into like a lockout. I've run into like a nutrient lockout uh, due to pH. And honestly, when I ran into that, I didn't really, I didn't know. Like it was hard for me to really tell what I was running into when I, because I originally started in soil, and there was a lot of mistakes I made. I didn't check my runoff. I didn't think it was that important. I'm like, hey, this is what I'm pHing. This is what I'm running. Everything should be good. That's what's going into it. Well, what's coming out of it? You know, is that the same? What I put into it is that what's coming out? So, I ran into stuff like that nutrient buildup. Um, you know, the salt buildup and stuff, and the plants just not being able to absorb, getting you know the plants burning, uh, wilting, and just kind of dying off that way because they just don't have that optimal environment. Because I'm allowing them to sit in pretty much you know a terrible condition. So when I kind of I kind of gave up on soil because I didn't know that and started DWC, which is that's like that was a different ballpark right there. Um, and but that actually helped me figure out like because and and DWC you don't have uh, the runoff, you don't have an actual runoff. Everything's in that reservoir. Um, even in RDWC, I mean the the runoff is circulating throughout everything. Everything's all there. The water's just sitting there. I mean it's moving through bubbles and stuff like that. But there is no runoff. There's nothing, no drainage. So once I realized, I started running into problems in DWC. I kind of related that back to soil. I was like, wait, you know, I'm my pH is rising or ppm is rising in uh, DWC. So I was like, maybe I was running into like some problems with soil. So I ran another soil plant. I check, I'm like, start checking the runoff. And that's when I realized I was like, I'm overfeeding. You know, I, I didn't know how big the runoff was. I was, I was see people say like, Hey, check your runoff, but I didn't think it was important. So I, I ran into, uh, you know, I had to learn the hard way. Um, but I haven't run into too many deficiencies. Most of the times it's literally just like some sort of nutrient deficiency. Uh, you know, the cow mag is, uh, especially since I'm growing a uh, cocoa now, which I learned that through one of the garden talk, uh, episodes, I didn't realize the cocoa actually like pulls some of that cow mag and it kind of like takes, you have to like up the cow mag a little bit when growing in cocoa. I didn't know that at first, but I, I previously watched one of your, uh, garden talk episodes like a couple weeks ago. And then I found out and huge difference in the grow right there. You mentioned low light deficiency. And uh, I think what you're actually referring to this is the first time I ever heard anybody say low light deficiency yeah, for the I, record. I, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> uh, I, I think what you're referring to is actually iron deficiency. And that's something super, super common. Okay. What it is, is basically it's a yellowing that starts at the from the petiole, so that they'll get the base of the leaf, and it works its way up to the top of the leaf. Okay. And you see that a lot with new growth. So you mentioned that like your lights were off for a day or two or whatever, and then you, you opened up your tent, and then you notice that the yellowing has happened at the top of the leaves. It just hasn't received the light in order to convert it to oh, green. Okay. And typically what will happen is you put your lights back on, and with a matter of hours, you'll see those leaves turn from yellow to green. I see this a lot with new growers. They will, they'll have their, their seedling. It, it'll sprout from the medium once the lights are off. So then the lights will come on and they'll open up the tent. They'll be like, why is my lead, why is my seedling yellow, completely yellow? What's going on? What am I underfeeding? But little did I know all they needed was that little bit of light and it will convert over to green. So I thought that was a good call out there. You see it a lot in the stretch phase 
Like after you flip the plant to flowering, those first three weeks, sometimes you get really heavy stretch. Oh, and yeah. so when your lights are off for that 12 hour period, for example, when you're growing photo period plants, you'll see right when you turn the, the lights on, you open up your tent, you'll see there's some yellowing on the top leaves. And again, there's no problem there. That's normal. It's just with the new growth, it'll start off yellow if, they're, okay. if it's not receiving light right away. Okay, see that's totally perfect. It makes it a little bit simpler because I know whenever whenever I get to flower, I know that they're stretching. I know they're demanding a lot more. So uh, with it being like that, I always see them like I got some yellow growth. I'm like, hey, maybe I need to take this picture from like a different angle so people aren't just like, oh, your plants look yellow. But you know, and I, I didn't really think about the fact that uh, that's I know in flower I don't really typically worry about it. I'm like, oh, it's common. But at the time when I was in, when it was happening in veg, I was like sitting there like, oh, it's, it's the lights being out. So I'm actually. I'm I'm glad to know that it's actually the, from the iron and the plant's ability to like actually break it down and turn green. Yeah, easy fix on that one and a, a common misconception for for growers, for new growers, I should say. So you also mentioned pH lockout. Now, is there a specific pH range that you're aiming for? Uh yes, with um when I was running soil, I was I think I was fluctuating anywhere between 6.2 and 6.8. Um but I'm no longer a soil grower. I Probably the only time I'll ever grow in soil again is maybe outside eventually, but I don't really plan on doing soil anytime soon. Um, but for me, I'm all hydroponics now. I'm running cocoa. Just started my first cocoa run, and then DWC and same DWC and uh, cocoa. I'm same thing. I'm sitting around five five point eight is being optimal to me. Um, so I'm always like right away. I'm mixing my nutrient solution and I'm pHing it right to five point eight, and then. That's where I, that's where I try to stay. I let it fluctuate a little bit. I may bring it down to somewhere around 5.5. I've heard a lot of people recommend that. So sometimes I'll, you know, let it go down to 5.5 or, you know, 6.2 being high, but I, I typically just 5.8 throughout the entire thing. I've always had good luck in cocoa in particular doing 5.8 pH. So I'll mix up my nutrients in my reservoir, pH it to 5.8 and then give that to the plants and uh, I've always had just really good growth really good luck with that so it's no surprise that, that you're having good luck as well I, I feel like that's perfect and I actually starting off in cocoa say I'm going to call back to another one of your uh, episodes it's the same exact episode I, I do not remember his name but he was talking about cocoa and I feel bad for not knowing his name but it's probably doggo the hut okay so I was watching I was watching that video and me I previously ran soil I'm thinking cocoa is the same thing as soil you know I'm I didn't really think I needed to look anything up different for cocoa I'm like well I you know I know what to do I just go in there I'm pH into around 6.5 that's uh that's what I was doing and I was still kind of like having some the growth wasn't what I thought it would be and just things were being a little off I was like what's going on you know everything should be going well right now uh, and then I'm watching that uh, watching that uh, episode on the podcast, and I found out I was like 5.8. When when to start doing? 5, I was like pretty much the same because my plants in DWC were at the same growth stage. So I was like, I'm making two batches of nutrients. I'm doing 5.8 for my DWC, but going to do 6.5 for cocoa. But after watching the episode, I was like, I could have saved myself so much time by just doing one, you know, one reservoir full of 5.8, and then just doing. I'm just saving myself so much time. So I started doing 5.8 right away after that episode, and from there, I was like, you know, 5.8 from here on out, it's all 5.8. <laughs> nice. Now, have you mixed anything in with the cocoa? Like some people will take the cocoa and I don't know if you're using brick or the bagged cocoa and some people will take that and they'll mix in like a, some form of aeration, whether it be like perlite or pumice or something like that. Are you doing any of that at all? Um, no, but I have also seen some people say that, um, uh, I've actually been doing right now. I'm just doing the cocoa bricks. I went uh, the floor flex cocoa bricks. I just found that to be like super easy. When I was looking online, I didn't have a store near me that just carried cocoa, or maybe they didn't carry the cocoa that I would like. So I was like, you know what, go online. I'm looking at prices, and I was like, you know what, this, these floor. I keep seeing these floor flex uh, cocoa bags and just other different varieties, but I kept seeing the floor flex ones. So I was like, you know what. I'm going to try that out. It seems pretty simple. I've, I've had reptiles before. I've messed with bricks of cocoa, so it should be the same, you know, concept. So that, that's what I want. With. I want with the cocoa bricks, and I just pretty much, you know, prepped them that way. I didn't add anything to it, just left them exactly how they were and just, you know, uh, they, because they come dry. So I just put, add some moisture. They expanded, and then from there, that, I just kept it at that. All right, so you didn't do any rinsing or buffering of the brick. That's a common technique that people do is they'll, they'll rinse it out because it's a lot of these come with a lot high salt 
content and that's really not needed for plant growth. Uh, well, let me take that back. There is some plants that can take sodium, but some of these cocoa bricks just have an excess amount of sodium in it. So they'll rinse that out and then they'll buffer it in with like those, they'll soak the brick in with CalMag, for example. And so that uh, basically the cocoa particles retain cations. So think of it like a magnet. So that calcium magnesium, those are cations. They stick to those cocoa particles. Did you do any rinsing or buffering or was it straight out of the brick? That you just uh, grew in. Yeah, well, right right away, I, I guess I kind of rinsed a little bit because I had a friend, they told me, as soon as they saw that I had the cocoa bricks, I was like, hey, I'm getting ready to do these. I knew that he had already done some cocoa in the past, the same floor flakes bricks. He hits me up. He's like, right away, he's like, hey, make sure you like really... um you know, rinsing them off. They, they, like you said, the salt, he said they're pretty high. Like when I get them, they're always at like a, already at like a three, e, uh, three, uh, three EC. So I was like, I was sitting there nervous about that. I was like, uh, um, okay. So I, I, I did kind of rinse it in a way right away. Um, but once I like got it, I didn't rinse it too much. I just kind of filled the bags up and I had a lot of runoff. So it, it kind of got, uh, rinsed out, but I didn't really stress it, uh, rinsing too much. And, I would check the runoff after, you know, water my plants. And I seen that everything, what I was putting in, it was roughly around the same. So I didn't have to uh, worry about that too much. But I was nervous about that when he told me that. I was like, oh, no, I like, I'm going to, like, burn my plants or, you know, whatever. I was like, all the salt build up. I was, like, super nervous about that. So I did a little bit of rinsing. Got it. And you talked about pH a little bit, but let's get into EC and PPM. That's another thing that people will check, whether it be the EC or PPM of the nutrient solution going in or the runoff value. Are you monitoring the EC or PPM at all? Um, yes. Uh, with DWC, I was, I, I monitor, I used to monitor daily. I would constantly go in there and check daily, but then that kind of gets played out when I have like seven different buckets and I'm having, to, I don't have RDWC. So I'm checking seven individual buckets and it's kind of like st- once I stopped, like I took a step back, I stopped stressing that portion so much of constantly checking it. Cause that was my, cons- uh, that's what I was under the interpretation that like, I literally had to check it every day and I had to make sure everything stayed in line. Uh, but once I kind of like, you know, I check it every, I check it two, three times a week. I'm not really stressing it as much as far as the DWC, uh, cocoa, anytime I see some runoff, you know, I'll, I'll check the runoff just to make sure. But yeah, I don't, I don't typically, uh, check it all all too often for the PPM. I I go by PPM, uh, not the EC. I just feel like PPM is just, to me, EC is just like the smaller number. And I feel like the PPM to me is just, it's a lot easier to, uh, understand. And I was like, you know, I'll just stay with PPM because some, some people like, some people only do EC. So they'll refer to everything as EC. And like, I just don't have any knowledge of it. Like I could look at a chart and like, you know, look at a side by side comparison, like, okay, this PPM should be around this EC. Um, but I don't, I don't typically, uh, refer to the EC at all, at all, even though my meter does uh, check EC, I just, uh, stick strictly PPM, which I do check, uh, the DWC, I want to make sure, you know, if my if it's lowering, if the PPM is lowering, I'm like, okay, everything's good. The plant's absorbing those nutrients properly. Uh, if the PPM is rising, I'm like, hold on, something's wrong. Um, maybe I need to feed a little bit lower dosage. Maybe something else is going on for the, you know, maybe the, uh, the mix wasn't right. Maybe something was just off. And I know there's some sort of problems where the plant's not absorbing it. So I try to, I do check it uh here and there i do try to check my ppm and stay on top of it but i'm not stressing it as much as i did right away when i first started okay yeah and there are conversion charts that you can google and find ec to ppm and you know some people use ec some people use ppm i wouldn't say one way is right and one way is wrong right this one's a a conversion of the other right there's also 500 scale and 700 scale meters. So you just have to be careful there and and know what your meter is, whether it's a 500 scale TDS tester or a 700 scale TDS tester, because those are different calculations from EC. And just like that, I just learned something. (laughs) Yeah. Usually I think it's Europe is usually using 700 scale us i think it's a mix between 700 and the 500 scale so yeah the best way to go about it in my opinion is to contact the manufacturer if you're buying off amazon for example sometimes it'll somebody will ask that question in the question section on the amazon listing so sometimes i'll search that to see if they reveal if it's 500 scale or 700 scale or you can ask the question see if somebody responds or just contact the manufacturer and they'll tell you what what scale it's on 
And um, also, since we talked about the pH, just to touch back on that, um, because I, I talked about it with the PPM, but uh, for my pH, like I said, I'm keeping it at 5.8, um, but I used to stress it a lot, like I already said. I was trying to make sure my every every day it had to be at 5.8. I'm constantly you know, adding pH up or pH down to make sure in my DWC system that it was at 5.8, and once I stopped on the, my two previous grows, I stopped like doing that. I just let it, I was like, you know what? I start day one, I prep my, you know, I prep my nutrient solution, add it to the plants. And then from there, I, I just, I was like, you know what? I check it the next day. I see it went from 5.8 to like 6.3. I was like, whoa, what is going on? Cause I mean, DWC, it's common. So I'm like, what's going on? And, it, but I was fighting the urge to pH it back down to 5.8. So I was like, you know what? Take a step back. I'm going to, I'm going to see what happens. The next day, it's at six. It's like almost like six point one, six point two, um, and then by time I just let it go until the next water change, which was like a week later. I come in there to change the water. It was at five point nine, so I was like, okay, the plant, you know, the plant's gonna it, it fluctuates, and you know, the plant. It didn't seem like anything was wrong with the plant, so now I don't really chase my pH at all anymore. Um, I check it still, but I'm not really chasing it to make sure it stays at five point eight. I kind of let them fluctuate and do their own thing as long as there's no problems. What type of water are you using? Let's get into that a little bit. Okay, um, so I, I'm right now for the water. I'm using tap water, uh, which my tap water comes out pH around seven point six, seven point seven sometimes, um, with the ppm being around one thirty seven. Actually, just I'm actually doing a video today, so I just checked it. So it's at one thirty seven as of today. My ppm was at one thirty seven. I would like to do some uh, RO, uh, reverse osmosis. Uh, I see like you do uh, RO, and a lot of people do RO, but. I was like, you know what? I'm in an apartment right now. I don't want to set up, you know, that. I was like, you know, I'll wait till I get to my more permanent spot. Once I get to the house, once I buy the house, I'll start running some RO. But as of right now, I've only ran top water. Okay. And then in particular, when you're in cocoa, how do you know when to water? What do you use to determine when to water? Um, yeah. So when I'm watering, uh, at first I was, I didn't need a, I thought I was needing water to run off like I don't have like the best draining system. I just have them in flood. Tra- I don't have like a flood table. I just have them in flood trays. So I have, you know, seven different cocoa plants. So I'm having to, you know, keep moving plants out of the way and, you know, just move the plants and then dump the actual tray out itself. So that can kind of become a little work when, especially as the plants get bigger. So I try not to do too much as far as the, uh, the runoff, but I, I still do get runoff. I just try to make sure I don't get too much runoff, but I'll still move the trays and uh, drain them. Or actually I have like some suction, uh, that I'll just get all the water up with like a shop vac so I don't have to move the plants around. But um, I started at first, I was only watering maybe once a day. And then as of recently, the plants started, they started intaking a lot more. They start really around like week three, around week three of veg, they really start picking up the consumption. So from there, ever since then, I've been doing two times a day. Uh, I do it right uh right a little bit after lights on and then right at lights out i've been running like that and so far it's been good uh the runoff i don't really get too much runoff and when i come in there sometimes i, I knew i've had to start increasing the uh, the amount of water I've, I've given them so far because sometimes i come in there and it'll, it'll, it'll be uh, the, the cocoa will be a little bit more dry than it was the day before and i'm like hold on let me now i need to start adding more because we're in that uh i'm still in that stretching phase of flower so i've been you know up in the water but i still do t- uh, two times a day common question that you get from beginners a lot is how much water do I add in? And, you know, the answer to that is just, it depends, right? Uh, There's so many variables when it comes to it. What size is the plant? If you're watering a small seedling, you're obviously going to give it less water than you would a full-blown plant that is in the flowering stage, for example. So I always get that question. It's so hard to answer it. You usually have to find out more information about how far along is the plant, how big is it, what container size is it in, how moist is the medium to begin. Like there's just so many factors, so it's so hard to to answer that question. Yeah, I I get asked that. Like I've been asked that a few times. People are like, oh, how often should I water? I'm like, I, what, like explain, break everything down to me. I need all the information. Uh, how you know your light, the light intensity. Um, do you have any fans going? Are the fans blowing directly at it? Like, is it drying up? Uh, what's going on? What what is the life stage? Because you know, me starting off, I I got a seedling. I don't want to just like just gouge it with water i was like i don't need that much it's just a waste i'm wasting my nutrients at that point you know we got to be you know save as much as we can so it's like you don't you don't need all that um but it, like you said there's so many factors that come into play and that's where we you know just got to relay that information like so i can kind of help you in because i can only see so much from like a camera or just from the message that you said like 
it's it's so vague you know you got to break it down we got to get because i'm not there so you have to really give me that information so i could try to help you because i'm still learning myself so one thing that can really help is the moisture meters. I'm not sure if you used yeah. one of those before, but you can buy one of those for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Those work pretty decent. You get some mixed results on them. You do need to calibrate them. There's also the digital moisture meters. I know Sustainable Village makes a digital moisture meter. They're the company that makes blue mats, the automated drip system. And so I haven't used the digital one yet. I've actually been wanting to get my hands on one. I think they're around like 85 bucks or something like that. And uh, they can certainly be valuable if you're like, if you're unsure about how much moisture is in the medium, you can get one of those. And that way you can really dial in your watering that way. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't personally, uh, I was looking into the moisture meters at first because I was running into problems. I was like, this looks like overwatering or this looks like underwatering. I'm like, oh, I don't really know where is that, you know, that meteor. I need to be in that, like the perfect little area. Where is that at? So I was like, I was, I thought about buying a moisture meter, but then I kind of just like figured it out. But I do want one just for the sake of having it. It's, it's kind of cool. So I could see like maybe what I thought was enough or it might not be enough or maybe what I thought was too much might not be too much. Yeah, it can certainly be helpful on that avenue. Let's flip it up. Let's get into environment. Now, there are so many different things that we can talk about when it comes to environment. Temperature. Let's start with that. What do you typically aim for in regards to temperature? Yeah, so for temperature, um, for DWC, temperature is like a huge factor. That is one of the factors. I would say top three factor. I'll put it at number one. But um temperature is definitely – I keep it around for, for the entire room – Depending like the actual room itself, I aim for around like max 75 degrees. Um, but with uh, that's when I was running like soil, or if I was just running cocoa, 75 but in the 70s would be cool with me, just keeping it in the 70s in general. Uh, but because of DWC, I'm having to keep everything down. And at first, I was originally, you know, making sure my entire room was like 68, I was making sure it was at 68, sometimes 65. You know, I was trying to make the entire room cold that way my plants roots you know, that way i can keep them in that optimal range of temperature so i'm not running into things like root rot so but then since then i've actually so i don't have to have the entire room you know electric bill skyrocketing because that ac unit is trying to keep the whole room cool i since then moved the ac unit because i have all dwc plants inside of one tent and i've been able to move that ac unit into that tent alone and i keep the actual temperature around like 65 to 68 pretty much inside that tent and then how about humidity? A lot of people will track the relative humidity and adjust that. Is there a specific humidity that you aim for? Um, yes, I do typically stay I, I kind of throughout the entire process. I, I guess starting off, I'm around like, like for seedlings, well, they're in the dome, so like a 90 plus, but... Throughout the rest of the grow, I'm aiming. I'm just keeping it at fifty percent. I just keep my dehumidifier set fifty percent. Sometimes, if it's a super humid day and I see like the the water is building up or I'm going to be gone and I want the, to extend the life uh, because I don't have uh, the dehumidifier draining outside. I have it draining in just to a bigger bucket, which I know it takes a couple of days. But sometimes, if I want it to last just a little bit longer, if I'm going to be gone, I'll crank it up to like sixty, so it's not fighting too hard to keep it at fifty percent. But around fifty is where I stay throughout the entire grow. Okay. Yeah. General range specifically for beginners. Now we could get into VPD vapor pressures deficit, which is the ideal humidity to be at for what temperature that you're at. And that helps to ensure that the stomata on the leaves are fully open and then taking that CO2, releasing that water vapor, so on and so forth. But putting VPD to the side, the general range that is often recommended for beginners is between 40 and 60% relative humidity. So um, you could certainly stay within that range and get to harvest, you know, no problem. And staying under that 60% is generally recommended in order to prevent things like powdery mildew from forming, for example. Now, air circulation is going to be a big impact to that. There are lots of benefits to air circulation. What do you do for air circulation? Uh, so for my air circulation, I'm running, I actually have a tower fan uh, inside of one, well, on one side of the tent, I'm running a tower fan. Um, I I actually want to get more tower fans and just run solely tower fans because I just like the, at any stage, it's, it's good. You know, it's still going to be blowing an even amount of air throughout the canopy. Uh, but I do have one tower fan and the rest is just like, I believe like six inch oscillating fans. I'm not sure the exact size, but I have oscillating fans and I'll have to prop them as the plants grow. Sometimes I'll have to like prop them up on something or hang them from the ceiling. But as of right now, that's like the only uh, thing I'm running for uh, fans and oscillating. And then, well, I have a, uh, air pulling out from the AC infinity. I do have that pulling air out, but as far as fans goes, it's just a 
to you oscillating fans and a tower fan? Most recently, I've been using the AC Infinity clip-on fans that clip on to the side of the Grow 10 and oscillate. Those things are pretty cool. I want to get I want to get one. I want to get one. I saw it. Yeah. Because it makes it so... You can just right onto a pole. <laughs> yep. I actually have four of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the way of positioning the fans in your grow space is something that not a lot of people talk about. And some people say there is a right and a wrong way to do it. And I'm not here to say that this is the, there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. But a common technique people will do is they'll put like two, two of those clip on fans towards the lower part of their grow tent, for example. So it's blowing underneath the canopy. And then on the other side of the grow tent, up more, they'll have the fans blowing above the canopy or through the canopy. So you have this constant whirl around in the actual grow tent or grow space. Now, some people will just, they'll say, oh, you can do that, or you can just position them any way. So air is just whipping around in all the different directions. So a couple different ways to go about it. Some may say one way is better than the other, but both ways is is going to actually move the air around so that it, the plant does have access to that CO2, which is needed for plant growth. And then, yeah, air exchange, like you talked about, I'm using the AC Infinity one as well, where it's just, it's so awesome being able to be hooked up to a controller. And now it's actually on your phone as well. So you can actually control the airflow on your phone with the controller 69. They have a Bluetooth edition, a Wi-Fi edition, which I just got my hands on. It makes things a lot easier. Because right now I'm just running with the remote, but I definitely want to get one where I'm able to control it. Because I like to do everything from my phone. All lights and everything are hooked up to smart plugs to where I could just control it from my phone. So it's like I get notifications if something's down, if the Wi-Fi goes out. Like I know like, hey, this light isn't going to cut on. I need to manually go do it because maybe something something just happened, like an outage happened in my area. So I, I know I need to prep for that. So it kind of gives me that less, less thing to worry about when I'm away. And then I also have like a camera hooked up so I can like kind of watch just in case I'm like, oh. It looks like there's a problem happening over there. Yeah, that helps. I mean, I remember back in the day, none of this stuff existed. I was like, open up the tent and, you know, disturbing that environment. And uh, I live in a very dry climate. So I'm like opening up the tent, humidity is escaping. You're seeing a drop in humidity and, you know, closing it up. And it's so much easier to just be able to look at the phone and see what the temperature and humidity is there or looking at the camera and being able to see that the plants are okay, that the lights are on like they should be, so on and so forth. So yeah, automation is just... I know there are some people against it. I was like, I know some people prefer like everything <laughs> manual because like those factors like power outages and stuff. But I, it's, I guess it's just the generation, but it's just, I, mean, I like, like, I like to make life easy. I like to, I like to enjoy everything. I'm very tech savvy. I like to use my phone. I'm on it 24 seven. So if I could add one more thing to this to make that just a little bit easier, then I'm cool with it. I did I did use the, for timers at first, I didn't know smart plugs were a thing. I just went and had some the ones where you, uh, it's like a dial, uh, and you just, you pull, uh, you just pull the pins out, whatever. And it's pretty much just, it's what it you just plug in the outlet and it just spins until it gets to that dial and then it cuts off. So I did uh, use that at first, but I was like, I don't know. I don't like that. I was like, I prefer to like see the time and know exactly which time it's going to cut on. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that those timers, you know, went from, from that style to the digital style, which I still use. And then a lot of people using the smart plugs now. I don't even use timers anymore. Those digital timers that are made specifically for, you know, hydroponics, for example. Yeah, I feel like eventually. Well, now they have. I've seen recently. Speaking of automation, I've seen uh, Hey Abby. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's pretty much a, it's a DWC system, and it's pretty much a full setup. Like tent, a light is inside of it, and it's a machine. It's like the size of maybe like a two by two tent, maybe smaller than that. But it's pretty much just for one plant, or you can probably run smaller plants inside of it, where they may have different sizes. But I've seen one, and it's it's, it's fairly expensive. It's like a thousand bucks, but it's literally a whole automatic system everything temperature controls it has ac built in everything is just automatic about it you can control everything you can feed it from your phone you just put like little food tide pods inside of it and i was like all right that's like another step like i was like i would try it out if it was like reasonably priced but i was like ah, i'm not paying that much just to you know put a thousand bucks into one plan i was like I'm, I'm cool on that like i don't need to go that far into automation i'm not that lady i'm not that lazy <laughs> You know, there have been a handful of those systems out there in the past decade, and uh, all of them suck for for uh, medicinal plants. I mean, lettuce, you know, or, or leafy greens, sure, but uh, people have been trying these systems. These are spending the thousands of dollars and realize, hey, 
it's better to just spend $1,000 on a grow tank kit than it is to send on, on one automated box, which, yeah, it's supposed to control the pH. There's a reservoir in there. There's lighting in there, but they're all just terrible. So, yeah, it is. It, it didn't even look good. I'm looking at it. Uh, I get like a little the person I've seen the video from, they like show inside of it. I'm looking at like the aeration, the bubble output. And I'm like, it's most likely going to run into root rot. <laughs> I was like, he's going to run into root rot. That's <laughs> no, terrible. I want to go back to the lighting issue you talked about. Have you ever had like a power outage that you had to deal with at all or, or no? Um, as, as far as long-term, like for some reason, like, you know, there comes times there's like maybe a week where it'll happen like a couple times, but it'll like be quickly back on. There was one time where my lights were out for maybe a, two three hours and at that point after like usually when they go out they're out for a couple minutes and they may just pop right back up within like five minutes but when they were out for like after like 30 minutes of being out i'm sitting there like okay anytime now an hour i'm just like i don't see it storming outside why is the power out and i'm just i was sitting there like super nervous i was like oh no like this is like what do I do? Like, I don't have a generator. I don't have any sort to get my, my lights back on. And then with DWC, if I have like soil plants, they can, they can make it a couple of days with no light and bounce back fine. But like if power out being a DWC, like their oxygen is gone. I'm like, what do I do? Do I just like sit there, grab the air stones, just start blowing in my mouth? I was like, I don't know what to do. I was just sitting there like scared. I was like, I don't know where to go about this. Uh, but after like three hours, they cut back on, uh, I didn't actually run into root rot that run. Uh, I was surprised. I was thinking I was. I was like, oh no, what is, what, it's, the plants are going to be done. But they didn't even. They weren't even bothered. They 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 just kept growing. They kept doing their thing. Once the lights come, as soon as I heard like the beep, I had. Uh, I think my dehumidifier, the AC unit, it beeps every time it comes on. I heard the beep and I was like, yes. I, was, I just like screamed. I was like so excited. I was like, the power is back on. I was like, I'm so good. But since then, I was like, when I move into like a more permanent setup, I was like, I'm going to like invest in something like a generator or something where I could temporarily or, you know, just get my power back and running while the outage is uh, taking place. It can be worrisome. I have a lot of people reaching out to me talking about how their power went out and now the lights came back on and they were off for a certain number of hours. And they're really worried about we know that light leaks and light interruptions cause plants to go hermaphrodite, right? So that's the main concern for a lot of these people. So like the question is, if your lights are out for 30 minutes, what do you do? Like, is that enough of a light interruption in order to cause your plant to herm or, or not? There's some people who their lights will be out for three, four hours, and then they'll go right back on and their lights will be on for three hours and then they'll be off for the 12 hours and things just get all out of whack. General recommendation that I've been told and what I've been doing whenever I've encountered a power outage is if if the lights are off for 30 minutes or, or longer, you may want to consider keeping the lights off as if you were starting your dark period. So for example, if your lights are off for five hours, you have a power outage for five hours, you may just want to, and, and then your power comes back on, you may just want to keep the lights off for another seven hours, and then you've completed your 12-hour dark cycle. Now they're going back onto a 12-hour light cycle, and then hopefully your plants aren't stressed out. But there's really no firm technique that's going to say for sure, no, your plants aren't going to harm out. Um, it, it really becomes a tricky situation. Yeah. Uh, like what I said with the outage, that's, that's like one thing that kind of like taught me the lesson was like, you know what? DWC, it may not be the best thing in the world. Like, cause that's how I was preaching. I was like, I love DWC, but that made me realize I was like, you know what? It is a very, you know, it needs everything about it. It needs, it needs electricity and it, it needs, it doesn't, it can't, you know, go through, it can't withstand an outage. So I was like, you know what? I kind of like sort of dialed back on, I was like, you know, I'll do fewer plants, fewer, bigger plants. And then everything else, I'm just going to do cocoa. That way I have that buffer. If something like that happened, I don't have to solely rely on electricity. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a good way to go about it. So we did talk about a ton of problems that you can come across in your grow and solutions to those problems. Coming up towards the end of the episode here, one of the questions I'd like to ask is getting advice for new growers. You know, you've been growing for a couple of years now. You've gone through kind of the beginner stages of it. Some may say you're still kind of in the beginning stages. But what general advice do you have for folks that are new to gardening? Uh, that main thing is going to be not uh, not being that critical in yourself and really just sitting there and trying to learn, you know, you don't have to reach out to someone and learn from them. You could learn from, you could learn through just research, reading a book, you know, yourself, you have a book, you could, you know, keep it simple, really just keep everything as simple as possible. And you don't have to know everything. That's like the biggest concern is like, as a new grower, I feel like I've reached a point where I was like, you know what, 
it was like a big drastic change. I was like growing. I felt, I felt new. I felt like I didn't know anything. And then I really just started focusing on like not trying to know everything, not know the terminology and just like sitting there like, uh, it's strain. I don't have to say cultivar. I don't have to like, you know, just there's so much information out there. I just need to know what I needed to know. And I feel like that's uh, where it comes into play. Just know your, the core stuff. Know if you can make it from seed to harvest, you're good. You know, you can, it may be a bad harvest. You may not produce the best. You may have harvested too early. You may have ran into several issues, but really just learning and being able to correct those issues the next time, just trying to constantly improve and fix those things and uh, fix those little tweaks here and there rather than just stressing yourself out about not knowing everything. Like just continuously keep it simple just make it simple on yourself and you're going to save yourself a huge headache. You're not going to, you're compare, you can't compare yourself to someone. Uh, some people, I don't have much growing experience, but I'll have people like, yeah, I'm trying to grow like you. How did you do that? I'm like, honestly, uh, go watch a couple of videos ago. You'll see, I was just where you were at. I'm telling you with time, you're going to get so much better. And so will I. All right. Well said. Yeah. Good stuff there. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Um, yes, you can find me here on YouTube, um, for, or for viewers, not on YouTube. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at Dusa Farms and you can find me on Instagram at Dusa Farms, D-U-S-A-F-A-R-M-S, um, short for Medusa, but Dusa Farms, uh, as far as what's upcoming, um, it's really just folk. I'm going to do more lives of course, more growing stuff. I'm, I'm really starting to get into that. I feel like I've hit that point where I could teach some stuff because I'm teaching people privately. So I feel like I've reached a point where I can kind of publicly say some things that I feel like I know. So I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, I'm starting to put some information out that I've come across or something that's helped me. At first, I try to avoid doing that because I didn't want somebody to be like, hey, he taught me this and it didn't work. But now I feel like I've reached a point where I've helped enough people in private that I could publicly say it. So I don't have to have too many people hit me up privately. It's already public information out there. So a lot of that stuff's coming. Um, just honestly, it's going to be huge. I'm going to be getting a, a full room growth set up once I once I move into a house. I'm just going to deck out a full room, similar to somebody like Terpy High. So stay tuned to that. I'm going to go through the entire building process. Maybe some people here and there can give me some pointers and help me in the right direction, show me what I should do and what I shouldn't. So just follow along the journey and see how it goes or grows, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I'll definitely have a link to your YouTube channel down in the YouTube description section below. And then if you're on one of the podcast platforms, just search for them. You'll find them. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up. Also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing one of these new Garden Talk podcast episodes, and I would love for you to tune into future episodes. Dusa, thank you so much for coming on today. I really like these beginner gardening conversations. It brings me back and helps me think about the basics again. So thanks for your time today. Thanks for talking about your experience and your knowledge so far, and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right, you too. Take care. Appreciate you for having me on. Peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode.